This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Good morning and happy Mother's Day to many of you. My name is Will. I'm the youth and college pastor here at Church of the Res. And uh, if this is your first time with us, we're just so glad that you are here this morning. Well, there are certain things that just go together. There are certain things that just fit together. Park, you know, peanut butter and jelly. It just fits, right? Like if all you knew about peanut butter, if all you knew is that you knew peanut butter and then you knew jelly, like would you have known that these two go together so well? Probably not. But somebody told you about that long ago and now you experience its goodness. Peanut butter and jelly, they fit together. Chocolate chip cookies and milk, they fit together. Cheese and burgers, cheeseburgers, they go together. Um, somebody told me after the first service that apparently one scoop of vanilla ice cream and one drop of balsamic goes together. That sounds pretty strange to me. I will let you try that later at home. Maybe you want to surprise your mom for Mother's Day. Hey, I got something for you. I heard this is really tasty. Okay, but the greatest of these is surely this. It is that poppy seed bun with the Vienna beef hot dog on top, that alien green relish, the, the onions, the two halves of tomato sliced, the long pickle, and mustard, never, never ketchup, the Chicago-style hot dog, right? I mean, people on the coast, they think that Midwesterners are plain, that we don't have good culinary sensibilities, but they are wrong because they have never had a Chicago-style hot dog. God bless the man or woman who thought of that. Amen? Certain things just go together. Well, in our passage this morning, we have a conundrum because Jesus pairs two things that for many of us don't fit. They don't fit together naturally, not to us at least, like they do to him. So on the one hand, we have the love of God. We have the love of the Father that he has for the Son that has existed eternally from all time. And we have that Jesus saying that that same love you and I are being invited into. We are being invited to participate in that triune love. And he gives us this command, abide in my love. And to that we say yes and amen. That sounds awesome. But then he pairs that love with this other concept, obedience. Abide by obeying my commandments. And to many of us, love and obedience, they don't fit together, not naturally. It's, it's an odd pairing. And it, and it sounds to us less like peanut butter and jelly, and it more sounds like, like peanut butter and mayonnaise, you know, or like peanut butter and pickle relish like just these two things that, that don't totally fit. You see, for a lot of us, love feels like, you know, total affirmation and acceptance, and obedience sounds conditional, like we have, we're expected to do these certain things. And in the modern world that we live in, many of us have a lot of, we have a lot of suspicion around the concept of obedience. Right? Like we're all too aware of the abuse of power and the way, you know, that, that obedience can be wrongly used, that it can, it can lead to bad places. And we have such a high regard for self-expression, 
for authenticity, for autonomy, for freedom, that we're immediately skeptical about anything that would put boundaries around that self-expression or authenticity or freedom. And we think, how could the words of this several thousand year old book, how, how could we submit our lives to those words? How could those universal truths really apply to every person's unique situation? In the modern world, we feel a lot of skepticism about obedience, and especially obedience to God and the scriptures. And our culture doesn't just ask, like, you know, does, does it make sense what Christians believe? They don't just ask that, but they're also asking, is it good that Christians believe these things? Is it good for society, for Christians to submit their lives to the will of God as revealed in the Bible? Is that good or is that actually kind of dangerous? Those are big questions in our culture today. How do love and obedience go together? And this is especially important because earlier this morning, we were celebrating our youth confirmations. We had nine of these young people who were standing up here, and they were being asked this question, will you obediently keep God's holy commands? And they said, yes, the Lord being my helper. And so today, we're acknowledging the weightiness of that decision of saying yes to God and yes to God's will as revealed in the Bible. So how do love and obedience go together? That's our question this morning, and I want to put one more thing in front of us before we begin, and that's this third idea that Jesus has here. Joy. Not just happiness, not just like temporary happiness, but deep and abiding joy. That sense of being right and aligned with the way the world is meant to be. Joy that, that could be separate even from the circumstances that we're in. Jesus promises us that what awaits us when love and obedience come together is joy. His own joy, my joy, would be in you and that your joy would be full. So let's try to think about what Jesus is trying to teach us here. So my first point is this, that obedience always follows love. Obedience always follows love. And so what I don't mean by that is, you know, when we feel in love with God, then we obey Him. I'm actually not talking about us in this regard, and I'm not talking about our feelings. I'm talking about a concrete act of love. In fact, God's concrete act of love. Our obedience follows God's love. So look at verse 9 here. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is a key theme throughout the Gospel of John, that the Father's love for the world is expressed through the gift of His Son. You know, there's, there's that verse that, that most of us know so well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. The gift of his son, God's love, his loving gift to us of Jesus, the incarnation, God taking on flesh, comes before the commands of Jesus, this act of love. And John also explains that the gift of Jesus goes further back even than the incarnation. In John 1, he says, 
All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made, which means that creation itself is an act of love. That the very fact that you exist this morning, the air that you breathe, this world that we exist in, one another, the, the trees, the rain, all of it, is an expression of the Father's love through His Son, Jesus. God's love comes prior, comes before His commands. And so it's really, it's really unfair that God often gets portrayed as just kind of this miserly, you know, lawgiver, you know, sitting up in heaven, waiting to like strike people with lightning bolts when they break one of His rules, one of His regulations. Because even the Ten Commandments you know, the summary of the law. Even the Ten Commandments begin with an expression of God's love. The Ten Commandments don't begin with a commandment at all. They begin with this fact. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. His identity as a liberator comes first, before His law, before His commands. And so this is really important for us to understand over and over again throughout our lives. Because if, if we focus on God's commands separate from His love, then Christianity will become unbearable for us. We'll start to resent God because we will always feel like we can't do enough to measure up and deserve His love. That's what happens when we get the order wrong here. When we think that, that obeying His commands, that's how we earn His love. No, it's not like that at all. You are loved. Therefore, obey His commands. The only way to rightly understand what God asks of us and asks us to be obedient to, the only way to rightly understand that is within the context of His grace, of His gift, supremely in Jesus, of His love and of His mercy. That's the only way to understand His commands. Now, that's not to say that they don't make sense. God's commands, they fit with the way that the world is made. You don't have to be a Christian to make reasonable, rational, philosophical, ethical, moral sense of His commandments for us. But inevitably, at some point in your life, you are going to doubt. You are going to doubt, are God's commands actually good for me? Will they actually lead to a flourishing life? And in those moments, what you will need is not simply an intellectual argument for how they make sense, but you will need this relational trust. Do I trust that Jesus is who he said he is? Do I trust that Jesus really is the Son of God who reveals God to me and to the world? Do I really trust that He became incarnate and lived and died and rose again and ascended into heaven for me? Because if you trust in Jesus, then you can trust in His commands. And you can trust His agreement with the Father's commands. You're going to need that relational trust regularly, frequently throughout your life. And sometimes that's what obedience looks like. Sometimes obedience looks like this radical act of trust. 
It doesn't make sense to us in the time, but we trust Jesus and therefore we obey. Sometimes that's what it's gonna look like in our lives. But that's not the end of the story because love and obedience, they really do go together. And so this is my second point, that obedience is true freedom. Obedience is true freedom. Look again at verses nine and 10. There's this really cool thing that happens here. There's this symmetry. So notice what Jesus says. He says, as the Father has loved me, the Son, as the Father has loved the Son, so have I loved you. Father, Son, you. And then in verse 10, that structure gets reversed. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my, the Son's love, just as the Son has kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Father, Son, you. It, it forms this beautiful structure saying that love and obedience are natural pairs for one another. And what's at the center of those statements? This, this imperative, this command, abide in my love. And how does Jesus tell us to abide? Not simply through prayerful reflection, but through obedience. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Which is not to say, if you obey, then you'll be loved. It's not saying that. It's saying you are loved. You are loved, so don't you want to remain in that? Don't you want to abide in that? Don't you want to rest in that love? Then the way to do that is obedience. There's no other way to abide than to obey in obedience, what does that lead to? Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Jesus is interested in your joy. He is not just interested in getting you to follow the rules. That's not what it's about. Jesus is interested that you would have life and have it to the full. And what he's saying is if you want that, if you want that joy, that abiding sense of peace despite your circumstances, if you want that, the way is through obedience. That is true freedom. You see, what many of us want is a different kind of freedom. We want the freedom to just have, you know, God's commands just be loosened up just a little bit. Because if they were loosened up just a little bit, then we could be happy. So we say, you know, God, if you were just kind of a little bit looser around what you say about substance use, if you're a little bit looser about what you say about romance and sexuality, then I could be happy. If you're a little bit looser about how I spend my money, that sort of thing, then I could be happy. We think what we need is just a little more freedom to do what we want. And I think my question for you is, is that really the kind of freedom that will bring you joy? And here's an example, okay? Walking over here, hopefully you guys on the live stream can see me there. Okay, here's an expression of freedom. I have freedom here to play any key on this piano that I would like to, right? That's my freedom, I can do whatever I want, in fact, I can play you guys a little tune. Are you ready? Yeah, okay, here we go. I'm totally free. 
I can play whatever I want. You guys can't stop me. Father Steve can't stop me. Karis can't stop me. Jeannie can't stop me. I can play whatever I would like to. Total freedom. I have total freedom to play, but you know what I don't have the freedom to do playing like that? I don't have the freedom to make music. I don't have the freedom to create something beautiful because because what would that require? That would require me submitting to the rules and the commands of, of tempo and key and technique and melody and harmony. If you want to make music, you don't just need the freedom to play any key that you want, any note, but you need, you need the freedom that only comes through certain rules, certain techniques. You need the freedom of actually being limited so that you can create something beautiful. And it is the same way with our moral lives. If you want the freedom to live a beautiful life, then you, you don't need the freedom to do whatever you wanna do. You need the freedom that comes with living under God's commands. That is the only way to live a beautiful life that reflects God's purposes to the world. It's the only way. So if you want freedom to just do whatever you want, then fine, you'll probably experience a measure of happiness for a little while, but your life will not be beautiful. And your life will not contain that joy that Jesus promises you. Because to have that would mean limiting your freedoms and living under the commands that the Lord has given us. There's that Mumford and Sons song, right, that says there is a design. There is a design. There is an alignment. There is a cry of my heart to see the beauty of love as it was made to be. All of us have that longing for love. All of us have that longing to live life to the full. And the only way to experience that is by living in alignment with the Lord's design, which he has revealed to us through scripture and in the incarnate life of Jesus, the word of God. That is the only way. Amen? Amen. And so what we see here in this unity of love and obedience is actually a progression. Oftentimes, obedience begins like dutifully, like we just do the thing because we know we ought to. I can tell you so many stories about me evangelizing, telling people about Jesus that are horribly awkward because I just took that first step of being obedient. You wanna hear one of these? Here's just a free gift. There I was down in uh, downtown Chicago, I was, or I was in Wrigleyville, and I was there with the express purpose of just striking up spiritual conversation with people. I see this guy on the corner. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go talk to him. Walk up, and then I'm like, oh, I'm kind of afraid. Okay, okay. And then I'm like, okay, he's still there. Okay, here we go. Take, no, I can't do it quite yet. And by this time, he's like starting to notice me a little bit, right? <laughs> the third time I walk up, and I kind of open my mouth, but, but he says something first. He's like, dude, I don't want drugs. And I say, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you drugs. I actually, could I just tell you about Jesus? To which he said, 
No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and went on his merry way. I have many stories about just trying to be obedient, telling people about Jesus, that ended awkwardly, something like that. That's kind of how obedience starts. We just, we just do it because, you know, we feel like we ought to. But that, that actually, that does not describe evangelism for me. Because obedience matures. And I actually love talking to people about Jesus. I love asking people questions about their spiritual lives because people want to share about their past. They want to share about their thoughts, about the things that matter most. I love hearing about that. I love asking questions about that. I love sharing about my own views about those things. And what you find when, when you have those kinds of spiritual conversations, there is nothing that is more exhilarating than that. To be part of this adventure where, where you don't know where the conversation's gonna go, you don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing, but you know that he's doing something. That's an exhilarating feeling. And when you experience that, obedience doesn't feel dutiful anymore. It feels joyful. And so this is what happens. This is my third point, that obedience matures into joyful partnership. So look at verse 15. Jesus compares these two kinds of relationships. And he says, on the one hand, you've got the relationship of a master and a servant. And on the other hand, you have the relationship with a friend. Okay? And he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, think about a master-servant relationship. What's the servant's job? It is simply to do what they're told. So servant, I'd like you to mop this floor. The servant doesn't need to know why he's mopping the floor. Is he mopping the floor because there's going to be a dance there later? Is he mopping the floor because there's, you know, a worldwide pandemic? Is he mopping the floor, you know, because it's Monday and on Mondays we mop the floor? He doesn't need to know any of that. He doesn't need to know his master's mind. He just needs to obey. And that's, that's good where it is, but Jesus has something better for us. The, what Jesus has in mind for us, the kind of obedience, is more like partnership. It's more like friendship. So think about it like this. If you've ever been a supervisor where you just like tell people what to do, that's actually a really exhausting job. You know, if you, if you are a parent and you spend a lot of your time just kind of do this, do this, clean that, clean that, that's an exhausting job, amen? It's not fun. That's kind of this dynamic over here. But when things get really good in a family or on a team is when everybody has a shared vision. Everybody knows what their role is and how they are to contribute. And when you work on a team like that, it's really fun. It's a joyful experience of partnership. Hey, can you do this? Yes, yes, I can. Can you do this? Yes, yes, I can. Look what we're building together. You know, when a basketball team has this kind of partnership, there's no selfishness. There's no concern about who has the ball in their hands or, or who's scoring the basket. No, in, instead, everybody is thinking, what helps the team? And the players end up saying things like, I didn't even have to look where I was passing because I just knew that she would be there. I just knew that he would be there. 
when I pass the ball. That is what Jesus is inviting us into. Everything that the Father has made known to the Son, the Son has made known to the Father. What's he talking about? He's talking about this redemption that he is bringing to our world. And what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you just to obey all of these commands. I want you to take part in this work with me. I want you to be part of the kingdom of God coming to earth. And that is an experience of joy where you can say like the psalmist, my delight is in the law of the Lord, where the law doesn't feel burdensome anymore, like all these things I have to do, but it feels like it's setting you free. Look at all these things that I get to do to be part of the world that the Lord is making, to be part of human flourishing in my community. What a joyful partnership of being included in God's own triune thoughts. That is what the Lord has for you. Obedience matures into joyful partnership. And so in this world, you might feel suspicious at times. You might feel suspicious about this idea of obedience. And when you are called to be obedient, you might feel fearful about what that would mean for you. What would it mean for me to forgive this person? You might be afraid of who you are on the other side of saying yes to that command. But when you feel those things, when you feel afraid, when you feel suspicious, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who offered his whole life, his whole human will to the Father who loved him. Look to Jesus who shows us that the path to true freedom, the path to lasting joy, the path to the most authentic self-expression is not found by going our own way, but is found through bringing our lives into alignment with the will and the good purposes of our Creator. That lasting joy comes through abiding in our Heavenly Father, and in His love, and in the love given to us through the Son. That way alone can give you what your heart most longs for. And the promise is true, that the joy of the resurrected Jesus, in all of His glory, that same joy will be yours as well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.